Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Welcome to Word from the Herd. I'm your host, Thomas Hill, and today I'm really excited to be in the studio with Dr. Heath Thomas. Dr. Thomas became the 16th president of Oklahoma Baptist University this year, but he's been on the faculty since 2015, uh, served as the dean of the Hobbes College of Theology and Ministry. He was the associate vice president for church relations, and he's done a number of other, had a number of other roles and done a number of other things. He's also been on staff at churches all over the place, Oklahoma, Texas, North Carolina, United Kingdom, and he's got degrees from OBU, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and the University of Gloucestershire, if I pronounce that That's right, close, yeah. in, the, in the UK. And so he's, he's really uh, world-traveled and world-educated and, and just a phenomenal guy. He has written uh, too many books for me to list here. Uh, I was thinking about you know, some of the titles that I could tell you, but, but there's so many. The one I think is, is kind of interesting is Poetry and Theology in the Book of Lamentations. That's got to be an interesting read. Um, he also wrote a book on Holy War in the Bible. That's probably pretty interesting, too, so you can look him up. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Well, it's fantastic to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity, and I look forward to talking with you. Can I call you Heath? Is that Please okay? Do. I yes. never know if people with doctor in the front of their name. Some people take that pretty seriously, and you know, I could call you Doctor Heath. But. Yeah, no, please call me Heath. You know, I have a funny story about that. My uh, my children, uh, you know, when they find out, or when they're talking to some of their friends, and they their friends find out, oh, you're you're Heath Thomas. Oh, is he a doctor? And my kids will say, yeah, he's a doctor, but he doesn't help anybody. You know, so <laughs> it's kind of a. I understand. It's fine. Yeah. So please, Heath. Yeah, just Heath. That's, That's great. fantastic. I think that uh, that they probably uh, need to reframe that. I imagine you help a lot of people, <laughs> but not in the way that, that they're thinking. So Heath, I always ask uh, our guests this, uh, this question, usually kind of at the beginning. Um, tell me a little bit about the worst job you ever had. <laughs> what a wonderful question. So the worst job I have ever had. Uh, you know, this is the honest to goodness truth. I I've had a lot of different jobs, but I really do view work as a gift, and so the ability to do work. Now I've had some some jobs that uh, most people would say, "Man, that's not the job that you want." One of my earliest jobs, I was a janitor, and so I I really did clean some grimy grimy places and some grimy grimy bathrooms. But you know, I don't look back at that as a negative experience. I learned the value of hard work mm. and pitching in uh, at, at every level of an organization. I found that that has really served me well in the capacity that I'm even serving in today. So I really do value the, the, uh, the gift that is work. Um, uh, you know, I, I look at my great-grandfather who doesn't get to work, uh, you know, or my grandfather who's 97 years old. He doesn't get to work, and what he talks about is, I can't, I can't work. Yeah. And part of that has to do with, I think, you know, the, the, the idea that I'm adding value to something and that I'm investing in something. And that's what we do as we work. So I don't know if I have a, a really bad story of work. I've got some dirty stories of work. I've got some of those. Uh, but uh, I just view work as kind of a gift. That's fantastic. It's interesting. Uh, so many of the leaders that we talk to um, can, can tell us about something that most people would go, you know, kind of cringe a little bit when you think about actually having to do that. But to a person, 
they all say, but that was part of what developed me to be the person I am or to be the leader I am. That's right. So I, I think that's a really important point, especially as, as we talk to younger leaders who maybe aspire to be in a different position than they're in and realizing that whatever they're doing in that moment is part of their development that's and right. part of how they learn and part of how they grow. So that's fantastic. Well, you know, speaking of growth, uh, one of the ways that as leaders – we can demonstrate to the people that we serve that we value them, that we believe that they're intrinsically and equally value, mm. valuable, is that we can provide them opportunities to grow through our organizations. Now, you're in a very unique position because as the president of a university, that's predominantly what you all do is you take our young people uh, off our hands. My daughter is currently a, a student at, at your university, and, and you provide them an environment where they can grow. And so really excited to, to listen to some of the things you have. I want to start you off in, in this vein. Tell me a little bit about this. So we know that college is, a, is about getting a degree, so it's right. about classwork and the academics. But being on a campus, a four-year university experience is so much more than just right. the classroom. There's so many different ways that, that we're expecting our students to experience and grow. So tell me a little bit about uh, about your role in creating that environment and the things that you think are really important about that. Yeah, so thank you for that. Well, OBU is a, a wonderful place. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a graduate of, of my institution that I'm serving today. And uh, the more that I've thought about uh, our institution, OBU, uh, you know, everybody knows it's a, uh, knows it's a four-year university, NCAA, D2, all those kinds of things. But uh, I don't view OBU as primarily an education institution. And uh, I communicate that to every layer and level in our, in our university. I, I view our, our university not as an educational institution, it's a life transformational institution. And the reason I say that is because, number one, I've experienced it. As a product of OBU, I know how my life was radically changed through the educational experience and just the entire transformational equipping experience that OBU provides. And so uh, I think part of um, helping everybody uh, get excited about what we're doing is leading at the highest level and casting that vision of, hey, look, we get to invest in the lives of the next generation of leaders that will be shaping our future uh, and, and shaping our tomorrows. We get the opportunity to equip them and inspire them and empower them in whatever sphere of influence or vocation that they have. And so, uh, again, that's not just words that I say. Uh, I share that with everybody uh, because I believe it. And, you know, um, from, to a person, they, they resonate with that, um, that reality that OBU is about life transformation. And uh, life transformation, not just in a general sense, uh, but uh, for the good of our communities and for the good of our world. And that's, that's a little bit different than an educational. We're not just about giving degrees. We're about mentoring. We're about guiding. We're about helping our students find their place in the world and then giving them wings to take flight into that world. That's a very different way of thinking about education. So now... OBU is an equipping center rather than just an, a degree mill. That's not what we're about. And, uh, you know, when, when we can cast that vision about our purpose and our mission and why we exist at that level, do you know what I've found? I've found that our, our uh, 
300 or so employees get very excited because they want to be a part of that. And it doesn't matter uh, at, at what seat you sit in the organization. Everybody gets to be a part of that. And so, you know, you might be on the front lines like some of our faculty are, but you might be a data processor. It doesn't matter. You're still in the business of life transformation. Everyone is in the business of this life transformational experience. And again, I think inspiring to lead at the highest level helps everyone in the organization find their place and say, I can do my part in this way. And, uh, you know, I get excited about that just because that's one of the reasons I I took the presidency. Uh, I get excited about it. That's fantastic. And it's unfortunate that, you know, podcasts are just audio. I'm sure our listeners can hear it in your voice, but if they could see you, I mean, you light up when you talk about that. So it's obviously something that's really important. So I heard two things there that that I really want to to reiterate or, or kind of focus on. One, you you cast the mission of your organization right. as being about life transformation. Right. The reality is is that if we spend enough time someplace, and for many of our listeners, they're running you know businesses where people just come and they're employed, um, but we spend about thirty five percent of our waking hours at mm. our jobs if That's we're right. a normal working adult. If that that time is going to be transformational in some way or another, right? It's either going to deaden us and right. dull us, or it's going to encourage us and quicken us. And so I think all of us should, as leaders, should realize that we are in the life transformation mm-hmm. business. We mm-hmm. are going to change the lives of the people that we interact with. And so the question is, how are we going to do that? And then the other thing that you said that is that is so important is connecting all the people in an organization to a mission that is more than the job, right? right. So the, the, you, you gave the example of the person who's a data entry person. Nobody's going to get too excited about data entry. I mean, data entry doesn't change the world. Right. And, and we have people here at Kimray who, you know, move materials or run machines or assemble valves. And I'll just be frank with you. The world doesn't need another valve. That's not going to change right. the world. Right. And so if, that, if you perceive that as your mission is to build valves, that's going to, hard, that's going to be hard to get right. excited about. But if you have a mission that is greater than the job, at Kimray, it's to, it's to uh, make a difference in the lives of the people that we serve, mm-hmm. whatever that means for us. Um, I can get behind that. I right. can see that happening. And I can do that whether I'm the janitor, because right. we have janitors here who are, are just as excited about their jobs because right. they know when they do a good job, transformation occurs in That's other right. places that, that we actually enable that. So that is so important. And, and you know, it, it may be a little easier for you all to see your roles that way, being in an education, an educational institution. But the reality is, is that all leaders are, are in that role. All leaders have mm. that responsibility. Mm. That is that is great. So speaking of the role of a leader, and especially in a large organization, I know you only have three hundred plus employees, but you've got two thousand three hundred something yeah, students. That's right. Um, so you're dealing with twenty five hundred plus people. That's a large organization right. in the grand scheme of all the organizations in the United States or the world. As your role as the university president, you have very broad influence, but you don't get a lot of time with any one person, which is often the case for us as right. leaders. So tell me a little bit about how you promote and show the value that people have to you, given how little individual contact you have. What are some of the what are some of your stories about that? Yeah, thank you for that. I think that's a good question especially in these uh, COVID-19 days. Uh, that, that, that challenge has been real. Uh, because normally what I, I like to do 
is I build into my schedule time to do this uh, kind of walking around the campus, and I will schedule out throughout the entire month time to invest just talking with uh, employees and with our partners all across the campus with students. I make a, a concerted effort to go to our student um, student center and uh, you know talk with our students. That's been uh, more difficult in COVID uh, realities, but you know we've had some sort of stop gaps with things like COVID uh, with uh, Zoom and and some of these other uh, aspects in in Zoom in uh, in our COVID realities. One of the other things that I've been very intentional about doing is making phone calls, just checking into people. But from my point of view, it's very important to listen to those that you work with and those that you serve alongside and just hear what their stories are. And let me give you a good example of this. Um, I think if you're, if you're talking with your people, you know some of the challenges that they're facing. And uh, we were facing a big one when it came to this issue of graduation. In our COVID realities, uh, graduation was a very complicated affair. And so we had to move it out of our large auditorium. And we thought about, well, where can we move it? We've got to delay it. How can we do this and maintain physical distancing uh, guidelines? And so, uh, you know, normally uh, our, our commencement exercises and graduation exercises are handled by my office, particularly through my executive assistant, Angela. And Angela, uh, I, I didn't take that off of her plate. I said, Angela, I need you to work on this. I need you to lead this out. And so what she did is she went out and uh, uh, developed a group of stakeholders who could solve the problem together. And of course, we provided help and support, and I was part one of those stakeholders. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I trusted her to ask good questions, to figure it out. Now, she's a very capable uh, leader in her own right, and uh, she was able to do this with a level of excellence. But we moved for the first time in OBU's history, graduation to the South Lawn of our Rayleigh uh, Chapel, and we had you know, uh, 1,100, 1,200 people on the South Lawn of Rayleigh and uh, all physically distanced, all, I, I mean, but it, it took an enormous amount of legwork, creativity, hard work, uh, even so much so that we were talking about um, the graduation uh, yesterday and today as a kind of debrief. How did we do? What did we do right? What needs to be, you know, uh, altered? And I found out that she was out uh, uh, on the uh, lawn of Rayleigh Chapel where all the graduation ceremonies were taking place last Saturday. She was out there at 4.30 a.m. with a couple of our team members uh, getting the preparations in place. And I was able to say to her, listen, I want you to know, I'm going to let's stop for a minute. I want you to know you have made a huge difference in the lives of our graduates you have moved the needle so significantly in doing something absolutely brand new. I did the same thing with our tech crew, all of our tech crew, the, the folks who ran the, uh, the sound and the video cameras and ran those cables and then helped clean up all those things. I made it a point to stay after graduation, help them with some of their things, and I, I read to them an email that one of our professors had sent and said, I've been to hundreds of graduations this one was without par. I mean, it was unbelievable 
You know, it was, uh, and that those kinds of just expressions of investing in our partners is a way, in a, a small way, just to say thank you. And you know what I found? That made a difference in their life. They appreciated the time that I, as a leader, took to come out of what I was doing. I said goodbye to the senator. One of our senators, uh, uh, U.S. senators, was speaking. Said goodbye to him and then went and found our, our key players. And I did the same thing with all the, the, the group that was uh, helping with ushers and the water bottles and everything else, and just said to them, what you've done made a huge difference. We have done something together that we, we've never done in the history of our school, and it has made a difference. And if we invest as leaders, uh, I, I think that makes a difference in their lives. I know it did for me when I had leaders who would do that with me when I was coming up in uh, different organizations, when they took the time, uh, it doesn't have to be forever, but just the time to say, listen, I appreciate you. I hear you. I've heard what you've said, and I'm grateful for you. Let's do this. Let's do that. Just taking that time is, uh, it, I think, it, it, is, it is, is one of those things that's just, it's so significant, and it adds such value and synergy in the organization because people feel heard, uh, they feel apart, and they feel valued. And isn't that what we all want, mm, right? Absolutely. So again, I, I picked up a couple of things that are, that are really spectacular. First of all, um, you, you know, you, I heard you giving your staff opportunities to take on things that maybe they hadn't done before, and you used the word trust. You trusted them to do that. Um, people don't grow if we you know, helicopter manage right. them and, and, and over, I know some leaders who are micromanagers and, and the people under them never get a chance to really test what their capabilities are because they're never actually tested. Right. We all grow under pressure. We all grow in times of, of stress and when we're overcoming obstacles. And so sometimes the best things we can do for the people that we lead when we're, when as an organization, we're facing a challenge is say, look, I know you're capable of this. I'm going to make you responsible for this, and I'm going to let you do it. And I, I know you're going to do great things, and you just come back later and, and check on them and, and really give really give it to them. Right. Don't, don't don't follow them around and clean up after them. So so I heard that, and then you know you have to be a very busy man. Most of us in executive leadership are very busy. Our calendars are the are the thing we struggle with the most. And yet, what I heard you say over and over again is that you take a significant amount of time. It is planned time. You protect it. And you specifically go out to meet with people and meet them where they are. You're not asking people to come to your office and sit right. in your office. You're walking around campus and interacting with them where they are. And and even with the graduation thing, you know, it would have been easy for you to say, "Hey, look, you tell your you know executive administrator, look, I want you to schedule a deal. We can all meet in the commissary a couple of days later, right. and I'll I'll do right. a little hail mary over everybody and, and right. bless them kind of deal." But instead, you stayed there, went where they were working, participated at times what they were doing, and then just took that moment to say, thank you, I appreciate you, you made a difference. And I, I think it's hard for us, maybe sometimes even it's hard for us to remember how important that was to us when we were younger or before we became leaders. But that's something that we should never forget right. is how significant those words are and, and how important that is. So that that's spectacular. I want to uh, shift you a little bit to... Um, you know, all organizations need to have, uh, and you've already touched on mission and vision. 
Um, and I'm, I'm interested because it's so fascinating to me to listen to uh, leaders from different types of organizations, right? I'm very familiar with what we do at right, Camry. Right. The manufacturing world is not, not, you know, is not unique to me, and I can usually guess what's going on. But when I hear from leaders in other organizations, mm-hmm. I always pick up things that are that are different. So, in, in terms of that, beyond the, the classroom, beyond the things right. that people would assume about a university, what's your vision for your organization, for the people that that you lead and the people that you serve? out beyond that. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's it's hard. You know, uh, before I do that, I want to go back to something that uh, I think is absolutely true. And it sounds strange in an educational environment. You know, we have uh, some of the, most smart, uh, uh, the, the smartest people in the world, right, uh, in, in a university. But uh, no matter what your brain power and no ma- matter how much uh, mental capacity that we have, one of the things that's absolutely true, people don't really care how much you know until they really do know how much you care. Mm. And when it comes to the vision for our university, what kind of university I want us to embody and to uh, 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 lead out on in the future is a community of care. Uh, we want to have, uh, I, I've written on this elsewhere, we want to have a university with a soul. I think that's what we need in our world. We need people who are incredibly skilled, but they have a heart for other human beings. And so if you're asking, you know, what kind of vision do I want for OBU, uh, I want us to have future shapers that have a heart uh, for other people that can go into organizations and, yes, add value and, yes, move the needle when it comes to profits instead of losses. But if they don't have a heart and a soul that has a you know, what I view as a love for God and a love for your neighbor, uh, you're going to be like, uh, you know, T.S. Eliot described it as hollow men, right? People mm-hmm. without chests. And uh, the idea there is we've got to have a heart. We've got to have a soul. So I, I, I hope uh, as we look at the future of OBU, we're going to continue to do what we've done for 110 years. We're going to transform students' lives. Uh, we're going to equip them to make a difference in the world. We're going to um, develop future shapers. There is no question about that. But the question is, what's the nature of our future? <laughs> we want to provide people who foster and develop a community of care uh, in the business field, uh, in uh, industry, in healthcare, in education, in uh, law and, and medicine and all those other industries that, that OBU serves into, we want to have a community that really does have a heart to care for our world. As I said, uh, going back to commencement, uh, one of my heroes, uh, you may have heard of her, her name is uh, Mother Teresa. I've got <laughs> it right. Uh, in one of her books, one of the things that she says is, uh, and this has resonated with me, so I shared it with uh, all the, the community in graduation. I said, you know, you've been equipped. You've been challenged. You've been changed. God has done something beautiful in your life. Now go do something beautiful for God in your world. Okay, I want to have uh, OBU to have that heartbeat, have that vision, have that uh, mission. That's, that's what I see. That's authentic with who we are culturally as a university. It's who we've been for 110 years. And I believe that's where under God will be for the next 110 years. That's fantastic. You know, again, maybe a little easier uh, for you to see that 
that missional part as a university, knowing that you're educating young people and, and then you're going to send them out in the world. But, but I really believe that all of us as leaders of organizations have a similar mission. Mm. Um, our organization should be um, where people get equipped and energized to go out into the greater community and do great things yeah. and to help the community. That's right. Unfortunately, in so many organizations, we're grinding people to powder right. and, and burning through their emotional energy just for them to just stay alive at work. And they don't have anything left over when right. they go back to their communities. And one of the one of the things that I like to talk about is the fact that we don't own the people that work in our mm. organizations. We're borrowing them. Mm. And just like if your neighbor came and borrowed your lawnmower, your expectation would be he'd bring it back clean and maybe full of gas. Right. And, if he brings it back empty and dirty and broken, you're probably not ever going to let him borrow it again. Right. And we borrow these people from their communities, from their families, and we need to return them full of gas in better shape than we got them from. That's kind of the responsibility right. of being a borrower. And, and quite frankly, at the university, you're borrowing our kids That's right. for four years. I mean, we're trusting you That's with our right. children for four years, and our expectation is that they'll come back to us more more grown up, more yeah, developed. That's right. Not that they'll come back to us damaged. And so I'm I'm so glad to hear that that you take that so much to heart. But but want to encourage the leaders that are listening that that really that's all of our that should be all mm. of our mission, all of our goals as that's leaders. That's right. So want to ask you now, you know, this should be a this should be an easy one. This is an underhanded okay. softball <laughs> directly across the plate for somebody who who's in education. But if you had a moment to talk to emerging young leaders. Um, maybe they're not a CEO yet, right. but that's their aspiration. They want to someday be in a leadership role uh, similar to yours and mine. What's the best advice you could give them? Uh, you know, honestly, I think, uh, uh, number one, uh, dream big. Uh, you know, don't put limits on your life uh, in the sense of, well, I could have never. Oh, I don't have the skill set, or I, I can't do that. I mean, anybody who's honest with themselves, we always say that to ourselves. But I believe that uh, if you don't allow the lids of our culture or whatever to be real lids, you just say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pursue whatever God opens up for me. I'm going to do that. Then you just dream big. So that's number one. Number two, I would just simply say, uh, work hard. And, you know, the value of hard work is, uh, you know, it's kind of a lost art. <laughs> We've got to be diligent with where we are. I was sitting across the table. This was when I was the director of a PhD program uh, at one of the schools that I served. Uh, and I was, a, I was younger than I am now. And I remember very clearly, I sat across uh, the table from a, a student and they said, hey, uh, clearly you're very ambitious and clearly, you know, you want all this stuff because you're a PhD director right now. You're running this PhD program. And I just said, well, well let's stop. I have no aspiration of being a PhD director. I, I just, I, I thought I hit the lottery when I was an Old Testament professor, right? I said, I have no aspiration to be a PhD director. Here's what I did. I worked hard where I was. And then the people who were above me said, we think we can give him a, a, a roll of the dice on that one, you know, the PhD director. But that would have never happened had I not worked hard and diligently and been attentive to the big things, yes, but also the small things that no one else saw. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, dream big. But that dreaming big has to be matched with working hard. And then the third thing I would just say is, uh, you know, 
leave the results up, results up to God. Um, I, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, we make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. And so, you know, I'm going to allow, I'm going to dream big, I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to leave the results up to him. And then at the end of the day, uh, if uh, God opens the door, I'll be happy to walk through that door. But uh, I, I think those three pieces of advice are really helpful in freeing you up to be able to work without expectations. Just just work. Just do it because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to dream. I'm not going to set limits or lids on my life. I'm just going to, you know, it's the whole Disney principle. Just imagine if, right? Just imagine if life looked like that. Well, why not? God can do that kind of thing. And uh, then, you know, just... Uh, Leave the results up to God and see what happens. That is absolutely fantastic. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Because, you know, you've been president of OBU for just a little while. Right. And, um, and you, got, you got put in, and then the whole world freaked out. <laughs> right. So that's got to be difficult. Right. Because it would have been difficult anyway. You're following right. in some fairly large footsteps. Yes, I In am. the history of, of the right. university. You've had some fantastic leadership. Yes. Um, and, and your predecessor was great. Phenomenal. Um, so... I want you to, if you will, tell us just one story. What's kind of one of the more um, embarrassing moments that you've had in the, in the last few months? You know, trying to get used to the, you know, the role and all that kind of. There have to have been some some interesting things that have happened. So just give us one fun story. Well, uh, in the time, so here's one really actually very embarrassing but absolutely true story. I am still not moved into my office. It has been seven months. And I am still not moved into my office. There are a number of reasons for this, right? I've got uh, uh, thousands of books, right? So there's part of the challenge. Part of the challenge is I've been so busy doing other things, but I have in my office right now picture frames that are still sitting on the ground. I mean, I still have to move in. So that's one, and that, that is embarrassing because you would think after six or seven months, surely, I'd be in, but I'm still not in. Well, the good news is you probably haven't had a lot of visitors to your office. <laughs> most of us true. haven't had any visitors. That's the last absolutely few true. So you got a little break there. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. I've been in that office, and uh, and there's plenty of bookshelves. In yeah. There, so you shouldn't yeah. have any problem putting your books away. Well, uh, I wish that were true, uh, but you know, again, my my educational uh, background and just my professional background, it is very. Uh, my my wife will, will will say that I'm I'm kind of a, a a Bible and ancient Near East nerd, so I've got a lot of strange language books and all that kind of thing. So how fun! We'll get there. Doctor Thomas Heath, thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been wonderful uh, talking with you, and really appreciate you uh, demonstrating value for us that you would come and, and spend time. I know you're you know you're really busy. This has been great. Um, I would encourage uh, our listeners to check out what uh, what's going on at OBU. There's lots of ways for people to get involved, even if you don't have a student there. Um, and it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful community. I love spending time there. And also, if you're interested in ancient, biblical, or Middle East and all those kind of things, then you can look at some of the books that Dr. Thomas has written because he's <laughs> written some very interesting ones. And, and again, just thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. We really appreciated having you here today. Thomas, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, this has been Word from the Herd. We're really grateful that you spent some time with us this week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at thekimmelfdn. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.